Welcome back to the Midwifery Wisdom Podcast. This week, we're joined again by our co-host, Augustine Colbrook, as she meets with a special guest, Dr. Victoria Flores, a hospital OBGYN turned community provider. Victoria shares all about her experience going from hospital OBGYN, her residency, the gaslighting she experienced in that process, to leaving the hospital and working with home birth midwives and other providers in the area. Stu Fishbein, one of the names she drops. Both Augustine and Victoria together dive into the roots of modern medicine and where they think it went wrong. They talk about the importance of keeping mamas and babies together, the vital period of the fourth trimester, and wrap it all up with where Victoria got her faith in birth and some wisdom she has to share with midwives and providers in the birth world. This is a power-packed episode. You are going to leave feeling excited to continue serving mothers and women around you. Let's dive in. A big official welcome to the podcast, and thank you so much. We've been working on this for literally one year, and here we oh. are. Schedules align. Yeah. <laughs> it's taken a long time to get us together finally, um, and I, I think it's only just because you're moving so much, and it's hard. You're a mover. I, <laughs> yeah, I'm not in one place for very long. That is true, but. Um, busy let's talk about busy you are busy friend I've seen you all over the internets all the babies all the conferences all the talks it's awesome it's a lot and I'm definitely it's trying to step back more this next year which is kind of a bummer for some people to hear I'm sure but um but yeah I think I I, I got my my feet wet and it was wonderful yeah that's awesome and the balance you know and that is an ever um changing evolving process we're all learning how to set boundaries and we're learning how to find that work-life balance and so I applaud that effort whatever whatever that looks like for you and awesome well for so there may be a few folks who don't know who you are I hope they aren't many because um it, what you're doing is really really exciting and um I'm really grateful you're here joining us um for this episode but let's do a, a kind of a deep dive intro. And I really want to encourage you to take as long as it takes to tell this story. So tell us who you are, where you are, and what do you do? I'm Victoria Flores. I am an MD. Weirdly, it's weird saying that because, um, I don't know, I still kind of have that, um, what do you call it? Like that complex everyone talks about. You don't feel like it, you know, and in, 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 what is it called? Where you feel like you're not quite that yeah that's me imposter syndrome imposter mm-hmm. syndrome I have that a lot mm-hmm. and you know I and I um I think I I got that because I was always kind of a petite girl with a super feminine energy and quiet I was more of a quiet type believe it or not although I was a cheerleader I think I got those positions because I was good more than because I was outgoing yeah so I was kind of a little bit more of a um, nervous around people I've always been kind of that that person. And so I've always yeah. been in the books. I've been a book nerd, reading, getting myself involved in um, health information since a very young age. Um, I can remember even my parents showing me videos because when there was videos <laughs> of um, 
like survivor stories people how did they survive in the wild and they would talk about like oh they got cut up from falling out of a plane and then there was these maggots that they had to to clean out and they had to wash their cups and reset their bones and like walk along the river downstream to a village (laughs) and I was like yeah I I love that and I was so into that adventure like how to like manage life with no one around nature loving like I just wanted to be independent since a very young age it was and I was the weirdo yes. because I would even bring those videos for show and tell and no one else cared no one else cared everyone was like weird like why do you like this stuff like you're a dark person <laughs> and I was like yeah I am a kind of dark person and n- <laughs> no one else like in my family ever like made fun of me for it so I had a safe space to do that lock myself in a room mm. and explore those energies and I've just kind of lived there the whole time and so when I went to um, undergrad um, I was a sciencey kind of girl I did neurobiology at UC Irvine and then after that um, I went into USC for medical school and I kind of always had this idea that I was going to be a baby person a person who delivers babies like I just always did like for example I began school taking like feminine feminist classes and I always did like art in the feminist realms, you know, at those, those era, it was like 2005, 2006. And then um, when I got to um, like UC Irvine, I, I joined a lab that was specific to toxicology and environmental toxicology and the effects on reproduction. And I was like, oh, I could use mm. this. So I knew about helping women's reproductive organs from very, very young, like 18, 19. Mm. Um, mm. I was, all about it from that point um and then when I got into medical school I was like I'm gonna be an OBGYN like there's nothing else I want to do and like I did all my rotations and it was fun learning because I'm I like learning mm-hmm. but OB is what I wanted to do and it was really funny because that was actually a group that I didn't fit in with but I knew I wanted to do that and so it was oh. kind of challenging to be like okay I need to fit in with them but then I'm also this like you know, they do that big five or big four personality test, the ocean one, right? I'm a very disagreeable person, like very. Like very. <laughs> I love that. I love I'm that. Disagreeable. <laughs> yeah, it's like bad and I cannot change it. I cannot. Um, I've tried. I mean, I've gotten better at just holding my tongue 100% because I, a lot of people say things that I disagree with or, or can, can disprove, but I just don't talk now. That's how I've improved it. <laughs> Well, I'm a big fan of being yourself. So keep going. Yeah. yeah. So I also, because of that personality trait, and you know, it's, it's like who you are that comes out. Like, I don't make friends super easily. Like, and there's just, I'm very picky. And so I think when I got into residency, it was just very obvious that, and I mean, even if the girls that are in my program there, they know it. I don't like them. They don't like me. We didn't like each other. And it was really hard for us to work together. Um, and mm-hmm. I just wanted to not do it the way they wanted to do it. And then that was the way that I had to do it. And it was like, okay, well then fuck this. <laughs> and I just, I was like, okay, you guys and I are suffering so much. Like, let's just not be together and we broke up like I broke up with the program they broke up with me although I was more like I had to I just applied to other places I applied two years to other places and finally I was like you know I wow. am going. I am going the first year I was like okay I'm gonna stick it out and I had this terrible chief resident she knows who she is supposedly she's changed because she's a terrible woman but she the first day of 
the the um residency i remember i had to go check everyone's like loki postpartum and come and talk to her about it and she was asking me um well why do women why do women hemorrhage and i like rattled off a bunch of things like oh macrosomic babies twin babies polyhydramnios you know multiparity grand multiparity all these things and then she's like well did that woman have that and I said no and she's like well, why are you lying to me then and so it was just a lot of miscommunication I was like you asked me what did it I didn't know you were asking me what did it for her like you know what I mean and so just from day one it was challenging to understand these girls and for them to understand yeah, so there was, there was like a lot of that. Um, and then anyway, so then I went into Tufts afterwards and it was wonderful. Like the women, the girls were so sweet and I loved them. Um, but then I just realized OBGYN wasn't for me. Like I am not a person that wants to wake up at five in the morning, show up and round at 5.30, 6 o'clock, talk at 6.30, bright and shiny to everybody and tell people what to do. I'm not that kind of person. I'm not really like a, like, I just didn't like it. It just made me sick. And then I was, I'm also very connected to my moon. So during menses, I always wanted to be slower and stuff, but there was no space for that in OBGYN. Like they want a male body mm-hmm. who's mm-hmm. not cycling energies, who's not yeah. changing. <clears throat> Oof. And I Oof. had to accept that. It's so heavy. I just want to stop there for a quick second because like <laughs> you just named like one of the most true and unspoken realities that we live with and I just yeah they yeah. want male bodies that don't cycle Woo. yeah it's okay so sorry yeah. that was just like no no I, I'm actually that's, gonna tw- that's tweetable off. right there yeah I'm gonna, that's, pop, that's, I'm gonna pop a cherry on that for you Augustine so I okay let's hear it <laughs> my first year of residency um I had a severe period one day just because of the stress. You know how things go. You don't ovulate well, so you build ridiculously thick linings. And so I was yep. in the middle of a DNC for whatever happens, spontaneous abortion or something. And I was just bleeding through my um, scrubs. I'm like, what are those called again? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's right. And so um, and then I had to exit in the middle of the procedure while my chief was finishing up. And I went to the bathroom and then I, I couldn't even get out of the bathroom. And then I had to be wheelchaired across L&D to get to the call room and lay down for the rest of the day. And I was groaning in pain trying to push out these clots. And this is just what happens when you get to that point. And I remember some doctors or nurses telling me, you're going to scare the patients. And I was like, I'm in so much pain and dying and you're telling me to shut up while I'm suffering and it was so traumatic and then I was never invited for the rest of the year to do a DNC my intern year which is fucked up that is not how you train somebody to get back at them for leaving during a procedure because they were on their period that's what happened whoa whoa that's so intense that was a Dr. Moxley he knows that Yep. And my chief knows who she is. She's well, so well, I'm so impressed that you made it through. Can I just say that? Like when you get that level of gaslit and abused and neglected and all the things like high five for making it through, like, seriously, that's intense. Yeah. Thank you love Thank you. Yeah. It was, it's a lot of, it's a lot for me still to think about when I go there, yeah. but, um, but yeah, but I made it through enough. I actually did leave. A well, little since little. we're on this conversation really quickly, I just wanted to circle back to your very first comment. Have you seen um, 
what is her name? It was at Smith College, uh, Smith College commencement speech this year. Uh, Rashma Saujani, I think no, that's her name. I have not, no, but I, I will now that you pointed okay, that out. Okay, we'll link it in the show notes and you've got to go check this out. She's talking about the roots of imposter syndrome and that it's absolutely mm. rooted in the patriarchy. And uh, she talks about bike face. Do you remember that that invention, that, that medical diagnosis bike face back in like the yeah. 1800s where like when women first got the access to the bike, they looked strained with red faces and they got diagnosed with something. Mm. Oh my God, it's so great. This is a great great commencement speech. So inspiring. And it just made me so compassionate for you. Um, you know, like everything you've gone through and who you are right now, totally changing paradigms and breaking through glass ceilings and like, you know, doing the thing revolution. It's amazing to hear that you have imposter syndrome because it, it, first of all, it humanizes you. I think we all deal with that, but more than that, I think it, really emphasizes how there is no woman who is free from the patriarchy in the patriarchy. 100%. And I just really appreciate you saying that. Thank you so much. Thank you. And so midwives have been my safe space and it's been really amazing. Yeah, tell me about this. So what happened? What happened when you got out? What did you do? Well, I was like, okay, I know I want to practice what I know because I knew that I was brilliant because my husband's a physician and he's a member of the Royal Society of Medicine and he's an award-winning author and he's seen me compared to my peer group and he's like, Victoria, you're fucking smarter than all of them. Like you need to do stuff except you just don't like to play the game. Like, so I'm like, I know. So what am I going to do? And, and, you know, so I had support from people that I trusted because they were validated by the patriarchal system. Right. And so um, I have an attending at my side for the rest of my life. And so I knew that I could always ask for help if even if I didn't, you know, finish the board certification the way that they wanted me to, which is thank God, because me and Stu both like are like over the certification stuff, right? Like it's just way too much. Yeah, I don't want to have to be in that student space for the rest of my life. But yeah, so then I just decided, you know what, I can do it. I'm going to ask around to see how I asked around. I found Stu. Stu and me actually met up after I spoken. I was speaking to him initially while I was in Boston. And then when I got to California, me and him and my mom and his ex-wife all went out for drinks. Yeah, he's really friends with his ex-wife and she's gorgeous. And I she, know. And, I yeah, know. It's the it, best. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, yeah, they have a beautiful daughter as well. Um, and so yep. we just had drinks and talked about how it worked. And then he was like, okay, just start coming to the clinic and let's see how it goes. And I did. And then he just basically was like, yeah, like you're doing what you should do. Like, just do it. And I started going to the births with him and he would like ask the moms if it was okay, if I was the one that helped with the breach, you know, and they'd be like, yeah. You know, it's kind of like in your zone. You don't really care, especially in the home birth world. Like, it's not really like a student. And they knew that I was a physician already. It was just like, hey, could she watch right now? And so um, it began like that. And then um, I would just get some side calls from communities that couldn't afford him initially. And they're like, could you just like, do it for a little bit less? And he's like, yeah, I do it. And so we would do it like that. And then I got my practice and I knew I had you have an call. apprenticeship. You had an apprenticeship. <laughs> I, I, told, I had an apprenticeship. It was beautiful. And then being Aww. in those spaces with those midwives, helping those women, being a female myself, I could be involved and I got to touch the women in a good way. You know what I mean? In the way that they wanted to be touched, massage them when the masseuse, massages need to happen, 
walk with them when they needed to walk, serve them. It's so funny. I still have a tendency to serve a lot in the birth space. And um, people are kind of just like, hey, that's my job. The doula or something like that. Like, <laughs> or, hey, stay, like and I was like, it's okay. You don't have to do that, doc. Like, and I'm like, okay, fine. Or I'll be like cleaning up my stuff and my assistant or something's like, hey, stop, stop. You're tired. Go, go chart. And I'm going to do this. But like, I just like, I like order and I like serving and I just like, I'm used to that. So I'm a wife, I'm a mom. So I'm used to that. And so, yeah, it, it, it just worked well in the birth space with midwives and I'm, and it's less shameful than, um, and it's funny because when I was in the hospital, they actually would make me clean up everything because it's like, you have to do it until the nurses think that you're respectable enough that they'll do it for you. So there's that you know, mm. lesson that's mm. learned. So I had come out still with that energy of, okay, whenever I finish a delivery in the delivery room, I'm going to be the one that folds the sheets down, puts them in the bucket, wipes the mom down with soap and water, um, you know, puts her pad on, puts her chonies back on, um, puts the stuff in the trash, puts all my instruments into um, like a bag, spray it with this special like enzyme, close the bag and put it in something that's going to be autoclave labor later. And like that was my job. Like I had to do that at every birth. Um, and so. Yeah, so I just had a lot of that energy still. I, like the old school attendings were the ones that stood in the back and waited for everyone to do everything for them. I never got to that place. So I, I don't, I never felt that. I don't know that feeling mm. yet. So, I mean, mm. I don't think I will. Mm. So I think it was, it's Yeah, so do you ever want to be back in the hospital? No, no, no. I don't even think I could, honestly. They'd be like, you'd have to start over again. And I'd be like, what, really, me? But like, no, I'm not going to. But there are people that do that when they come from other countries like India that are brilliant doctors practicing forever. And then they have to do a freaking residency again and start from square one and go through hell and get pennies an hour, you know? It's like, yep. I think some of the math, it's like 13 to $14 an hour with like the mm -hmm. worst benefit ever. Like, and then they're running the hospital because it is the residents running the hospital, even though everyone thinks, oh, they don't know what Definitely. they're doing. They really are running totally. the hospital. Yeah. Totally. So yeah, I'm I'm not going back. No, I'm stuck. And so I think it was kind of like a burn the ship type of thing. Like you remember that story supposedly. Um. So yeah, I burnt the ship, and now I have to stick on the island and figure it out for better or worse. I'm dying here. Well, I I kind of love that. I mean, I don't I don't love that you have less options because I want everyone to have more options in birth and in provider world. But I love that um the commitment is complete <laughs> you know you know sometimes when there's an out it's hard to you know whatever so it's just like in labor like there's no epidural we're having a home birth you know and i love that about you a hundred percent and that's what it's so funny when you get the calls and you know she's so uncomfortable she can't get comfortable and i know what people that are listening that have heard me say this go that's just a part of it like you have to be uncomfortable i'm sorry it's not comfortable <laughs> It's not, not optional. Get it's part of the process. Right. And if you go to the hospital, you will be very uncomfortable after you have the baby. <laughs> you know, like there's discomfort is a part of this, no matter how it unfolds. Yeah. I love that. And um, Victoria, I just want to like, uh, you know, I just want to cheer for this turn of events for the, what, what I'm calling is like the revolution of space. Mm -hmm. So previous to what, you know, previous to the last few years, We've had advocacy and like these siloed care groups, right? We've had like OBs against midwives. And then within midwifery, we have like CNMs against CPMs. And, you know, it's like, there's these silos 
of, of providers, very few connections and bridges, and a whole lot of information hoarding, and a whole lot of scarcity, and a whole lot of fear, um, and a lot of persecution in all directions, like you're wrong if you do, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, what I feel like you know, my organization made with free wisdom is trying to usher in is this celebration of space. So there is a hospital-based provider and there is a community-based provider, and they generally have a pretty similar scope in those two locations. Yes. It doesn't have to do with how you came to the education. It has to do with where you practice. Hundred bajillion percent agree with you. I, I love that. You're either an out-of-hospital provider or an in-hospital provider. And that really defines what you do more than how you got to that space. 100%. Because once you get to that space, everyone helps each other. And we do the same energy alchemy. And that's what yes. it is. Yes. 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 And so that if we can define ourselves by location of care... We will suddenly have allies that have been absent for us, right? I love that. Oh my God, I love that so much. Yes, yes. That's one beautiful way to connect us all because 100% I see the divisiveness amongst all peoples in every realm, Um, even in the hospital, you know, it's the senior attendings versus the junior attendings. They don't know what they're mm -hmm. doing. And then the junior attendings are trying to take it out on the you know maybe the residents or maybe another type of surgeon and everyone's saying oh the surgeons are the surgeons not the OBGYNs it's just constantly breaking itself down in that system as well um and you know the LVNs versus the RNs versus the CNNs there's so much of that and then in the home birth world yes I see it too and it's like a licensed unlicensed CPM trained you know traditionally trained like all that stuff so it's just so weird our human it's kind of, it's just it's so weird. It's so weird. But I, I like how you found well, a way to bring it together. Thank you. Yeah, well, yeah. we've had this knowledge that, you know, um, divided they fall, right? Like, yeah. if you, it, like this, this division, this, um, these, this isolation based on training type is working yeah. <laughs> in terms of not letting the the industry the space the profession we can't grow if we're constantly at each other and i think part of it is that we live in a in a scarcity culture but part of it is also a little bit by design you know yeah. like the cnms have been allowed in but everyone else is out and that's a little bit by design you know and the cnms were always there they were actually Good. rns that were created by obese and gyn surgeons and told to become midwives because they didn't mm -hmm. want to bring in traditional midwives so they were always there yeah. So they actually didn't come into this space. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just been this division for decades now. And I think if we want to, I mean, we all know from all directions, especially public health, that the solution to the maternity health crisis in the United States is, is the midwifery model of care. Not yeah. necessarily midwives, but the midwifery model only easier in the community-based space, clinics, birth centers, and home space. And so if we if we really band together as those folks, because you need a different skill set. Yeah. You need to be a you need a different lover. skill set in the hospital yeah. than you do. Yeah, it's the family energy that you bring to your health and Yeah, I mean energetically. Yeah. yeah. And that's really detached. Yeah. The, the energetics for sure. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So detached. Oh my God. Yes. 
but it's, it's also a clinical skill picture, right? So because care is so segmented in the hospital, there is someone that does every level of care. There's respiratory right. therapy and phlebotomy and, and pharmacology. And then like, you know, you call in your, your NICU nurse, and then you call in your, your uh, janitor, right? They're all, it's all said, but in the community-based space, it is not one right. provider has to have skill in all areas. And so there's very different skill sets in the two care locations. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. And that's why, you know, um, people and family medicine doctors will, will laugh at this because they know it. People are like, oh, you're a jack of all trades. You're not a specialist in anything. You know, you don't know how to do blah, blah, blah. You just know a teeny bit of it. And I feel like, okay, that's like the home birth model is similar to the family medicine doctor where like, you know, you know so much of everything, but everyone kind of looks at you like, yeah, but it's kind of superficial. But like when you're interacting with the family, the family's like, wow, you guys are deep. And it's like only the families that understand the value that you bring. And um, like, for example, like I was seeing this baby the other day or yesterday um, that wasn't quite at birth weight. And I am an OBGYN, yes, but I've made it a point to study postpartum neonatal development. Now, if you ever told a pediatrician that I'm the one that's checking this baby's jaundice and like doing its vitals and checking its birth weight, you know what I mean? And at you know, recommending supplementation at certain weight drops and stuff, they would be like, you don't know any of that. Like you're an OBGYN. And the truth is who gives a shit what my degree is, whatever I learned, because I'm learning this too. And I learned it too, or else I wouldn't do it because I don't want to be in jail. Like I, I don't like, I think my family would be really upset if I was, so I'm not going to do it unless I know. And I know when I don't know enough, I refer, you know, or call in my friends. And um, mm -hmm. so yeah, midwives mm -hmm. and I love how you say out of hospital birth workers, we just have a lot more skill broadly, broadly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But maybe not. Well, and I, yeah. well, and I think deeply too. I mean, I, oh yeah, deeply so too, pieces here. Sure. so sure. much to unpick. Sure. Right. But, but I would say one, one thing that I, I want, I'm a real, I'm like language and word medicine is really powerful but, to me. Yeah. Um, and this uh, one thing I love to say is community based birth because we're not, not something. So, out of hospital birth is still centering hospital. Hey, you podcast listener. I know that you've been enjoying this episode and you definitely don't want an interruption. So I'll be brief. Thank you so much for tuning in. Your support on our podcast means so much and we'd love to know what you think. So we're inviting you to leave a review. Reviews help us grow, improve, and continue to create content that resonates with you. Whether it's shouting out your favorite episode or giving us a suggestion for our future topics or just your overall experience listening to our show, your words make a difference. You can leave a review on whatever podcast platform you listen on. Scroll down to the review section, hit write a review, pour out your thoughts and feelings into the box, click submit and know that you are single-handedly making a big difference for us. Thank you so much for being a part of our podcast family. Okay, let's get back to the conversation. But yeah, I mean, I think the the amazing thing is, or the thing that I think medicine got really wrong when, I mean, there's several medicine got wrong, but, but the march of its roots in 1940s, 1950s medicine, when the specialties started to really arrive, I think they got it wrong when they separated mm -hmm. mothers and babies. Like, I think they, yeah. they got it 
so Isn't that wrong. Crazy that because that who would be a better expert for that dyad? Yeah, totally <laughs> wrong. Just like totally wrong. <laughs> totally wrong. Totally I love wrong. that you're bringing it back. Yeah. You're so right. Oh my God. Like, why, yeah. Like why, like I will say, and any OBGYN resident that's listening right now will know they do not know what a neonatal's vitals are. They have no idea. They do not know what normal looks like when that baby comes out. Don't lie. You don't know if you're listening, you don't know how to transition a baby. You don't know what a low first APGAR means. It doesn't mean much. It doesn't, it doesn't. Sorry. I know everyone tries to freak out about that blue baby when it comes out. Doesn't mean much. They don't know normal weight gain. Maybe some that our mothers might know a teeny bit, but really probably not, honestly, because they're not even around to really Which see. Which is such things. a sadness. Yeah. It's such yeah. a sadness because the mom and baby are a dyad. And yeah. to evaluate one's health without the other is actually dangerous. Yeah. You, you come to erroneous conclusions when you don't yes. have the dyad. I, I like to teach midwifery students that it's like you have to, and, the, and that's how our eyes can't be separate from one of them. Like we have to see them both at every visit or we don't really know the whole picture. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm so glad you're bringing this back. I think that in itself is a revolution, Victoria. I just, oh, I cheer for you. Awesome. I'm super happy this talk. Um, yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Um, I've, I've noticed that, like you said, once we separate it, it's like mom and a baby. And really, it's just like an extra uterine gestation when they're born. And like, you kind of also have to consider that, like, they're so vulnerable, even at birth that we can't, like, why do we just yeah. like, care that they're out of the body? Like, it's not, it's more than that. But and that's that fourth trimester, right? Like right uh -huh. here is where they belong. We have to see them together. In fact, there was this great, I was an anthropology sociology major, like in college before I did this whole thing. And um, there's these fantastic studies. I know it's right. I love it. It's juicy stuff. <laughs> um, there's these great studies about how, when we became bipedal, you know, it, when, when, the, like the evolution of the species, um, babies had to be born sooner and sooner because of the way the pelvis changed shape. And so they actually are born smaller. Oh, that's good. Premature. Okay. They actually are born more neurologically immature compared to other mammals. Yeah. Like human babies are the most pupa like of any mammal mm -hmm. because they're, they're biologically sooner than they used to be. Right. Yeah. And so there really is this fourth trimester that exists from neurobiological development. They need to be right here. Yeah. And I think, I think you hit the nail on the head. Like this is all, all maternity care providers should have knowledge of newborn transitions and newborn growth and development. Yes. yes. Yes, I totally agree. I mean, great, great. We're on the same path. We're on the same wave. Like, yes, absolutely. But it's so funny that you mentioned that. And the reason I was like gagging myself when I was listening to the, to the um, like theory and evolution, this and that, because you know how many times they have in academic anthropology made really patriarchal mistakes about the female pelvis and about why the head goes down. Oh, yeah. and this, right. And you're, so, and it's just like, stop telling me what God did. Like I am observing it myself. <laughs> Maybe I disagree, but because I'm not on a pedestal, so, like you're not going to give it credit. It's yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, you can see, but I'm, but I'm the neurobiological really immaturity is fascinating, right? I mean, it's fascinating <laughs> that, that actually compared to other mammals, like chimpanzees can like hold on and latch themselves on the breast and like baby gazelles can run away. Like there's like, 
in terms of mammals, we are we are really de- uh, uh, immature. And so it's all the more reason but so- to keep those mommies and babies together all the time. And there's some fantastic stories about how much better they do with resuscitation and how much they better they do with their transition if they are touching mom. And of course, you know this in the home birth space and it's, it's pretty awesome. Well, I love that you got initiated uh, into home birth. I love that Dr. Stu is one of your mentors. Tell me about some other mentors that you had in this space. What's that been like? Honestly, I can name every midwife that I've worked with has taught me. Like that's that's how immature I was as a baby coming out in this space. Like, yeah, I had this degree, but every single beautiful woman that I worked with, it began, I guess, with Celeste Winfrey. Yeah, Celeste Winfrey, one of the black midwives. Mm. I think there's not many at all in California. And it's, you know, really interesting. And she's in the San Bernardino community. I know Celeste. Yeah, Mm -hmm. my girl. She's my girl. Um, So yeah, so she began to take me to births with her because she needed an MD degree to get around some things. It was just like that. It was like, Oh, I have a bridge. Can you just like show up for this one? And Oh, I need a vacuum. Can you show up for this one? Is that I don't want to transfer mm-hmm. or Oh, I need a repair. Can you do this? Or some, you know, little things like that. Like, Oh, actually this one needs a prescription that I can't write. Can you do that? Like, so she would just refer people to me and that's how it began. Yeah. Oh, there's a space for me in That's this awesome. community work. And so I, I I just kind of like let people pass along the service options by word of mouth because I don't want to be too inundated. Um, and then I got invited to other birds and, you know, Lindsay Milis has taught me so much. It's so funny. We realized we both were in the same goddess circles for a time. <laughs> we didn't know each other at that point, but we were like, Wait a minute. this is super weird. Um, and we both have our our moon in the 13th house. So we're very birthy. Yeah. So then her and then (laughs) midwives, um, he worked with, um, let me see, who was I working with? There was, um, Tammy Stokes where I got to work with her Mm -hmm. a lot. She's got a birth center out here. Um, I got to work with push, um, birth center with Robin, um, she is awesome. She taught, she like told me about how she put her kids through school by selling placenta pills early in the days when placentas were uncool only for like those uh-huh. goopy LA girls. So I just got to learn some of the history <laughs> of these women. And so I got to hear the history of the birth work and yeah, it's just been beautiful. Um, Kayleen, I work with her. I've done like about two or three twin births with her out here. She's, um, awesome. She's about my age and she's kind of like just badass energy. Um, she does crest line those are some that are just coming to mind right now um of course barefoot midwife lisa marie she's Mm -hmm. like a goddess in the space right so like so many i mean i'm definitely i'm missing a ton like jennifer angel and there's so many there's just so many birds i can't even go there um nicole morales and her team so many hayes um unlicensed midwives even like i'm supporting all of them like it's just whatever yeah and i and because i'm so fluent in um physiology of adults too um i think that that makes some women comfortable to have me in this space as well like i i I get worried before everyone kind of and they kind of go no it's okay Mm -hmm. or or, okay if you think that you know like so we're good buffers for each other bouncing ideas off each other yeah, we respect each other's um, assessments. It's no one's in charge. I like, it's funny because sometimes I notice people want me to be like 
that in charge, but I'm just like asking, well, what do you see? And what do you think? And like, should I call the bus? You know, we, the bus, what's the bus? You know, those types of things. I, I mean, I know I have a million other midwives that I'm totally missing right now. I'm so sorry, lady. Oh, no, that's um, awesome. You, you, you yeah. named, you named a, a whole crew and, and a, a shout out to all of them. Is it as different as we imagine it to be? Like, like going through a residency in the hospital compared to this apprenticeship and mentorship in the community-based space, is it as different as we imagine it to be? Yeah, it's very different. It's super, super different, Mm -hmm. super different because I am in the hospital. We had lab labs to confirm suspicions and there's been a tendency to not trust the physical exam in the hospital, whereas you have to trust the physical exam in the home birth space. You have to see what normal is with your eyes and your hands, your, your hearing, your sound, like the, how things smell. You have to use those senses and you need to be very confident that you know what is off and use those visual inspections and palpation for high blood pressure. Like I told someone that in the hospital once, like, cause my husband taught me like that he would just palpate blood pressure so that he could feel the differences in blood pressures with your hand. So I would learn that too. And I told someone that in the hospital, they're like, like, that's impossible. I'm like, well, what do you think a blood pressure cuff is doing? Like it's feeling the pressure, like, and giving you the change in mercury change. You know what I mean? Like it's giving you a rise or a fall in pressure and tightness that it needs to put air into this puffy sleeve, you know? And so, yes, we rely way too much on numbers and tests and stuff in the hospital. And so um, that's why they keep doing them. That's why they keep doing blood draws and stuff. So it is very different in that regard. Also, because we're, we're doing so many people at once every day, and it's a different person every time, there's not really a time to anchor your body in anyone's birth because you have so much to do in the hospital that it is it isn't a smart idea to anger. It's just not because you're not going to get your work done and then you're going to get fired. So it's not in your benefit to to really stop and, and love someone and really hold them through the entire process. It's like, okay, I'll get back to you when they tell me that you need me. Bye. I got other things to do, you know, and, the, and it's like the threat of your livelihood. Wow. Yeah. So women and right. men that have that that need that to survive then of course they're going to choose that over what could be out here um and i'm yeah. just lucky enough that i i i only only get to do this for fun like i i'm doing it to pay off this grandiose student loan like and because i love it not because i won't have a roof over my head my husband's like just quit let me just take care of you and be fine but i love birth work so i'm doing it yeah I, I just, I love this. I love this about you. Well, so a, a few of you have done this, right? Like you and Stu and Nathan and Rebecca Cohen and David Hayes. And like, there's a few of you that have like left the mainstream industrial complex and are really happy in the community-based space. And there's a few midwives who are going the other way. Do you think that's a that. smart idea? Are you worried about that? I have never heard of that happening. I mean, it just seems, what do you mean they're going the other way? Well, one really classic example, of course, is Aviva Rahm. Oh, that's right. Right? She was a midwife for 20 years and then went to Yale and is now an MD. And there's like, um, I know of one in Idaho and one in Louisiana. Yeah, I think that there's this, and I know Alabama and there's about five I know of who are in med school right now. Yeah. 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 No, I've, I get that question from midwives. Like, should I go to medical school? Cause once I get in, I'm going to change the system. 
And I'm like, no, you're not. I'm sorry. You're not like, I thought the same thing. That's why I did it. Like I was that person that you're talking about. Um, and you get there and you get beaten into a shape and that's the shape that they want you to be in or goodbye. Like it's that way is that way. Sorry, girl. Like no one's going to be cracking that system open. It's just got to, it's going to do its own thing. And it's already burning itself to the ground. And you just got to watch it. Like literally it's, it's burning itself to the ground. They're not hiring enough residents out of medical school. And that's bottlenecked by Congress because Congress will only subsidize the pay of so many. And it's been the same since the eighties when they thought there was going to be too many physicians per person. And now there's just not enough physicians per person per group population um and it's burning itself to the ground there's way more suicides now i think there was like four suicides in seven months in one um residency program in california i won't say its name but yeah it's terrible it's 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 demoralizing it's the the system has made physicians work for a company instead of being independent and um thinkers and critical thinkers that are free to practice the way that their heart drives them to now it's you must do it according to this evidence-based flow chart with these limits that tell you what normal is but you don't really get to see and learn normal on your own which is a totally different understanding because then you can see the body fluctuate through health and sickness at a, at a level that's so fluid but we're just looking at numbers because does it fall in that range does it fall in that range and you and so when women in like what I thought would be so funny is if you put an OBGYN even an old OBGYN like an 80 year old 90 year old OBGYN in a space with a midwife that knows natural birth and ask them each that question and say, okay, OBGYN, you go first. What does natural birth look like? They're going to describe the Friedman-Meyer curve, right? They're going to describe how the S shape, like it's slow to go, slow to go, slow to go, active, fast to go, and then boom, it finishes really quick, right? They're going to talk about it like that. And that's just not how natural birth is. That's what a hospital birth looked like for a 20-year-old back in the 50s, right? But, but that's not natural birth. With because, Pitocin. <laughs> right, exactly. Probably also with Pitocin, right? I didn't even think about that. Um, but it's a different energy. They're augmented, yeah. Yes, exactly. But yeah. when you talk to a midwife, they're like, ah, yeah, right. I wish my births went like that. No, it's like one night you labor and then it stops for the day. Another night you labor a little bit and then it stops. Another night you go labor and you do this for a week. And then, you know, maybe you'll get to complete the next day or in the morning and then you're going to be pushing and pushing isn't like right away all the time. Sometimes it is, but sometimes it's not. And it's okay because it just depends. You know, like there's like so much more understanding for the way that the body walks itself there. Another mystery that was unfolded to me, and I'm sure this will be a mystery that's unfolded to some of your listeners, is that, well, then what the heck happens when a primate mom first time mom goes into labor with like an OP presentation, occiput posterior presentation, cannot get to complete, gets to like eight um, and then just peters out like she's done. Like what happens in nature? Does that baby die? Does that mom die? Does it? No, it doesn't. The cervix recoils. It becomes thick again. And that mom goes out of labor again. And that baby is fine and restores itself. And then maybe a week later, after the body feels like it has enough remineralization, enough power, enough rest, it will go into labor again. And probably so fast and so much more smoothly because there was already an initial labor that occurred that that baby will make its rotations a lot easier um, and probably get into um, actually labor might not even start until that baby's in OA or else it'll do it again it'll just close the cervix up 
the uterus will contract until the baby gets into the right position. And your body will go into labor several times until that baby comes out the right way. And that is like mind blowing, like no way. Like if someone's at four centimeters, they're admittable because they're going to have a baby, right? No, no, that doesn't mean they're in labor. It just means they're like laboring a little, like we don't know yet, but we have to admit them. Love this. I love this. <clears throat> yeah, I feel really, I, I love this. I love this epiphany. I love what you're sharing. Yes. And I I also feel like really, really blessed and really lucky. Um, I oftentimes have said um, that I got to, I got the biggest head start in my midwifery career uh, because I had very dysfunctional unassisted births. Mm. So I got to learn in my body what it mm. feels like to be the sovereign birthing person without interference. Mm. I had a, a five week labor because it kept starting and stopping and starting and stopping ah. because of that OP baby. Um, and I had the faith to keep riding that wave. And um, she was eventually born persistent OP at 10 pounds, but it took three days of labor after those five weeks of labor and it worked. And this is the piece where I think I get such a head start, this like deep well of faith and knowledge and trust in the process to me is both embodied and now also witnessed. And so it's just like, it's such a blessing. I think so many people have to learn it by rep repetition. And I got to learn it like repetition in my own body. So I'm, I'm grateful for that, even though it was like, like several that's nights awesome. of dark yes, nights of the soul, but yeah, but I, I got it in my body. I, I get it. You know, it was like 20, that was. Yeah. And so even in that case, that the baby didn't even have to get 20, into the right position. Like five in, years, 28 yeah. years ago. So in that case, the baby didn't have to get into the right position. Slowly, slowly, yeah, slowly. It just, slowly. It just but eventually yep. you're, yep. you're hit. But there were, there were at least five reasons. Yeah. Well, ligaments and, and yeah. um, you know, connective tissue and like, you know, there's things that happen that we can't even measure. Right. But like right. there are, were at least five reasons why I would have had a cesarean. Um, right, exactly. And that's that. That's that learning, right? Is this this overuse of technology? I mean, I was three weeks late, and I was ten pound baby, and persistent OP, and a three day labor, and like you know, there's all these things, right? That I, you know, I would have definitely been I cut if I'd been anywhere else. And so this is that yes. faith, and uh, I know where I got my faith. But where did where did you get your faith, Victoria? Where did that my faith where did that birth, bloom for you? Yeah. Do you mean mm -hmm. I think I was gifted that knowing from a very early age, probably 13, 14, 15, when I began goddess studies um, about, you know, just understanding the role of the mother and the birthing is a part of the, the culture and the talk, right? It's like always birthing out into the world, what you want to manifest, what you want to work with what you want to deal with what lessons you need to learn and so the word birth was really just always a part of my jargon from a young age and so and I always talked about it as birth just happens because you you don't like it, there's no like labor stalling or failure to progress with your ideas like so it was very much like birth <laughs> always happens like it just happens and so when I started learning about these terms in the more medical way it was really kind of confusing and I, I was kind of in this cognitive dissonance of just like what what like that doesn't make any sense like why are these women stalling and then 
I get it now. Like, it's just because they're in the wrong place doing it. And they're expected to finish it the first time they start laboring. And I, and I know any residents listening, they are probably like, bullshit, that cervix doesn't close. Like once it's open, it only opens. And I love this argument. It makes me laugh so hard. I'm like, right? you really have a question if the cervix can reverse dilate? What the hell do you think happens after the baby's born? Like, it's right. like <laughs> that, uh, of course, it, it's an elastic muscle. Of course it can close. Like that's yes. craziness. <laughs> yes. And it can close when the mom is tired and, you know, all those things. So it's funny because once I've transferred a person with like um, a dilation at like seven, she gets there and she's four. They asked the doula if she, because it said Dr. Flores, OBGYN. They're like, an OB didn't check this girl. Like this girl's absolutely a four. Like there's no way an OBGYN would call this girl a seven. Like she, and they're like, did you check her? And she's like, no, 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 I have long nails. And she did beautiful, like long nails. And they're like, no. And they were so confused. They were like, well, this OBGYN must not know what she's talking about. Like, cause that cervix is absolutely a four. And I was just like, dudes, like it closed, it closed. She was exhausted after three days. It closed. Like I'm sorry that you've never seen that before. It's because you never allowed it to be seen before. Like, you're just like, oh, she's broken. Let's see section. Yeah. Like, it happens. Yeah. And yeah, it's true. It's true, yeah. everybody. <laughs> yeah. Reverse dilation it will happen anytime the pressure is no longer there. It, like, it, it is like the turtleneck, right? If there's no yeah. longer head underneath it it's closed like it's yeah. elastic that's what it does you know yeah that is awesome yeah we've all been accused of that because of this yeah. very linear thinking mm -hmm. yes yeah and I was saying that um when I was being in training like all of the normal that I learned you learn it from your residents mostly and they teach and one of the attendings was like it's like the blind leading the blind like it really is the blind leading the blind like I remember one of my residents had taught me when I when I was like a first year that how do you assess plus two station? And she was like, oh, it's when you can't push the head up anymore. Like, it's just I was like, OK, so that's what I said when they asked me at rounds, like, what is plus two? Oh, when the head is not no longer blottable. And they were like laughing at me. And I just remember being like. Well, I know that I read that it's this, the distance between this, you know, the inner spinal diameter, inner, you know, the spinous processes, whatever, um, ischial spines and, and that distance. But my, my chief or my, one of my senior residents told me to say this and, and they just thought it was hilarious. And I was just like, okay, I obviously can't make everyone happy. If I said this and I was right and she was wrong, I would have been punished because women punish each other if they make another person look stupid. And then, um, and then if I said the right, the wrong thing, I was laughed at by the attendings. So it was just like, you, you have, it's terrible. It's terrible training in residency in that regard. And then I would ask like, well, her cervix is a little bit less. And they'd be like, oh, there's no way. Like, there's no way. That means she's swelling. Do you remember that word? Oh, she's swelling. That means that she must not be able to tolerate labor. If her cervix feels thicker or smaller, it's because she's she's in pain and swelling and we need to help her because she's never going to dilate. She's going reverse because it's water. She's swelling. That was what they always said. Okay, we have to do a C-section. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. It wasn't uh, just let her have some bone broth and sleep. And well, to borrow from your goddess tradition, it's they're uninitiated or they're partially initiated then being required to initiate others. And that, that, that I think is the best way to describe what's happening in the medical world is that in this 
this uh, to create big box healthcare, we have required the uninitiated to initiate others, which yeah. perpetuates this partial information being passed down on and on. And you were, you were a victim of this. And unfortunately, I think almost all of OBGYNs are a victim of this. And then once they get out and in practice and shamed by colleagues, they like, then try to fit themselves into this narrow definition of who they are, what they're supposed to be, or what labor is, or how they're supposed to manage labor, manage labor. And they don't get to experience the width and breadth and depth that is this amazing human rite of passage. And that's what I think is so profound about midwives is that in the apprenticeship process, which by some miracle still exists, because it could have been stamped out if we allow for this apprenticeship process to happen, then people enter the profession fully initiated. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then they can pass on a body of knowledge that is complete and maybe even added to, to the next. That's what's so profound about midwifery. Mm -hmm. And I feel like midwifery and the midwifery model of care. And we could get even outside of midwifery because it's really humanistic yeah. care. I mean, it's like, there's, it's, it's so revolutionary, right? But that's what I'm really afraid of is that this profession, this body of knowledge is so under threat uh, that we might lose it. And you are a part of the really important addition to this knowledge base. And I wonder for those that are listening, either student midwives or, or residents or folks who are planning to go to med school or like anyone who's like in this world of having to dance between these two competing worlds, what advice do you have to them? What, what could you, what, what do you want them to do or be aware of now that you are, you have access to this body of knowledge? I think first and foremost is that you do not need to be able to read, speak good English, no proper grammar. You don't know, you do, you do not need to have a formal, any education to help a woman have a baby. And I, I know that that probably even upsets some licensed midwives that people can learn this and be 10 years old or 12 years old or 13 years old. And um, it's not hard and it's not a lot of difficult information to digest. It's just just an intuition of what is normal and what is what is not normal. And it doesn't always have to have numbers and it doesn't have to have measurements. It's just a body having a baby. And it's so simple. And it sucks that we've, you know, commodi commodified birth to the point that people are teaching in schools how women birth babies. It's just like, they just do it. Like they do it. We just have to create the place for them to do it safely and then help them when they do reach out. Um, and it's not that hard. It's not. I think that's the biggest thing I would say to those academics out there that think that you have to be a brilliant genius and go through medical school, research, you know, presentations and continuing medical education, CMEs, recertifications and board certifications in order to deliver a freaking kid, like is not necessary. Like that is such an overkill and a waste of millions and millions of, of our students money dollars. And, and it holds a lot of people back in life. And I see um, 
women judged so much for their 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 lack of ability to speak in the common vernacular and that sucks in the in the in the women of colored community being held down just because the way that they express something is not the way that um our culture accepts the the language you know that sucks and with correcting that it's not necessary to correct women that say things different it's not at a heart level they know it's happening sorry they didn't say it the way you would have said it women in a medical model definitely don't feel their own bodies and i was in that space and women in the out of the community environment are encouraged to feel their bodies in that space and i think we just need to remind women in medicine to honor their own cycles instead of trying to become more of a male body yeah it's easier i'll tell you like i couldn't like having to be a bitch all the time and be like and i'm saying that like jokingly because like i'm sure that i was too and having to like boss things around or like write orders and kind of just set it and forget it like it seems easy and that's what men do like they that's what they do they write a to-do list and they leave it on the desk of people to do the work a lot of times and it's so easy that you know you kind of it's tempting it's tempting but that's not what a woman's work is it's not a woman's a woman's work um is with other women we are social even if we don't have to talk with those women like i'm not really a super socially type of person but when i'm with women and we're just quiet together it feels really safe and yeah so just remembering our animal parts remembering that we're we're animals too and you know that's just the way it is and to remember that everything is living not just us humans. And that's something that's also forgotten is, you know, bringing in plant medicine, understanding that, and maybe this is too much for some of your listeners, but God is in it all, is, is in it all, in all. And if you acknowledge that spiritual energy in everything and, and say, I see you, I see what you're trying to do. You're trying to get this woman to stay alive. You're trying to get this baby to stay alive. I'm going to try and open a pathway for God to flow there it makes it so much easier than just, you know, cutting it down to numbers and, and managing numbers. It's just about managing energies and souls. And when you see it weakening, you try and find a way to build the fire to keep it going and encourage that energy to go forward. Yeah. Victoria, what a pleasure to hear your, your advice, your wisdom today. I hope we can stay connected and, um, you know, dream up new things. I'm so excited for your future clients and colleagues. Thank you so much. Thank you.